Hey everyone, welcome to Assorted Goods. I'm Dan Felton. Thank you for joining me today as we take a curious look at the world around us. I hope you're doing well out there. This episode, I'm sitting down to have a conversation with one of my favorite members of the independent podcast community, Michael Motley Jr. Mike is one of the members of the Cut Podcast and is the host and creator of the One Mike Black History Podcast. We're talking about what it's like to make content based on telling the stories of Black American history, the challenges of getting people to listen to the good and bad of these stories, and of course, a little about podcasting and really so much more as well. So sit back, get comfortable, get ready to hear someone other than me talk a bunch. It's a nice change of pace and enjoy. Assorted Goods is produced by Disinformed Media in association with Verboten Productions. Promotional support comes from the Always Up Network and DeanBlundell.com. He's a fellow podcaster, a connoisseur of history, a must follow on Twitter and Instagram. And overall, someone I've been lucky enough to get to know through this whole podcasting endeavor from the Cut Podcast and the One Mike Black History Podcast. It's the one mic of one mic, Michael Motley Jr. Thank you for joining me here on Assorted Goods. It feels like it's long overdue. Yeah, man, it has been long overdue. This is dope. This is super awesome. I've been, you know, wanting to do this for a while. And I, and I actually love doing podcasting interviews because it's oh, the for one, it's the one time where one, people ask you a bunch of questions and they get to talk because I'm a chatty patty. And I get to um, I never had a bad one. I always we shoot, we shoot the shit, we have a good time, we laugh, we joke around, we talk about you talk about history, you ask me questions. It's always a good time. You meet you meet people and you feel like, even though without podcasting, I probably would have never met you. Yeah. But we feel like we've known each other for forever. And that's dope. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, I feel the same way. And, you know, I, I have to say right off the start of the show, I, I had to bring you on a sort of goods because you, you went on um, uh, another great podcast. Uh, Demond does six questions. Uh, I've been a guest there too, where you did an interview and you, you said a lot of, oh, you said yeah. a lot about me on that one. I was, I was, I, I couldn't <laughs> believe I was being talked about so much, but you said some kind words and, and uh, you are right. I am very weird. So uh, <laughs> I had to bring you on to, uh, to, to actually like reciprocate the, the appreciation of all that. I, I have to say though, as we get started though, uh, one mic is, is in my opinion, like one of the most premier indie podcasts out there right now. You, you, you've been, you've been killing it to almost two years now. Am I right? Yeah, it's been about two years and it's, oh man, as a one man band, <laughs> it's really, it's really tough. So it's kind of funny the other day, you know, Google, open up their podcast investor thing. It's it's they give you like $15,000 and they send you through this like podcasting boot camp. It's it's a lot. It's a heavy investment because it takes like 20 weeks. You got to be there. Somebody had to be there for some of them. I I try to sign up. I don't know if I can even invest the time, but I shot my shot. Anyway, they're like, "Hey, let's meet your team." I'm like, "Team." <laughs> <laughs> team it's just me champ that's it yeah. there's no one else but but me he's like we can't accommodate more than five people you ain't got to worry about that <laughs> you should ask him you should be like i got i know people who can fill the spots if you want them to come right. along <laughs> right who's your producer right yeah that's that's a common that's a common thread is the you know i i always feel that way too doing this show i'm like at the end the the credits are uh, all the people, all the sources that I use to write this, and like my brother who made a little music for it, like right. that's it. That's the whole. That's the team, man. But you've been making so you've been making one one mic for for about two years. And again, you've mm-hmm. been your YouTube channels. You're doing great. Your 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 social media content. The way you sort of you've got it figured out. I think is what I say. You're you're closer to figuring it out. I think than most people in the podcast world. Um, so I just got to ask right now, how are you feeling almost two years in uh, with your own sort of production? You know, oh, what's the, uh, what's the status report? I feel, I feel great. I feel, you know, there's one thing, the weird thing about podcasting is a way of humbling you because you feel like you're figuring it out and you're doing everything correctly. You, you know, I'm going on press tours and talking about history and, and I'm like, yeah, this is working. My downloads on, you know, in the podcasting space, which is always tough. Um, I do about 200, 250 an episode, which is like insane. Do you like, if you, if you remember the cut, I, when I was doing the cut, I was 50, <laughs> 50. Yeah. So doing 250 an episode is, 
is is monumental stuff. Um, YouTube, YouTube does maybe man, YouTube's exponential. I have you, I have episodes that have twenty thousand views. Um, so it's 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 insane. But on the flip side of that, like um, it really has a way of humbling you. I remember I applied for black 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 podcasting awards, and I was like, they have a history category. I mean, how many black history podcasts did you know? There's no way I could lose. Oh, did I not? I didn't, not only did I lose, I didn't even get nominated. I was like, how? How? I remember I lost out to Black fashion history. I'm sure it's amazing. Wow. Like, talk about, like, go sit in the corner, Mike. <laughs> you thought you were going to make it. <laughs> it is tougher out here than you thought. Um, so, yeah. That's I struggle. I struggle with that. Also, you know, I applied for podcast and I was like, I gotta get this right. I got yeah. to. Nah, nah, you're not getting any money. And then <laughs> this is this is bringing around in, in, a, in a total circle. So I was they like 11 days of podcast where they like, hey, these guys won. And the other day, yesterday, I saw, is that black fashion history again? What is <laughs> happening? I lost you again. And I, I, you know, I think for listeners who are non-podcasting listeners should know that like 250 an episode is like, is like high percentages. Like that's, that's like way beyond the threshold. Like 99% of people who do podcasts are in the like yeah, double digits. 90, 90, yeah. I mean, everybody, no one's going to be Joe Rogan. And the idea that you could even get to a space where like you need help, you would need someone to like, to push you along or to start yeah. like really advertising your podcast or paying money or having like a bankroll. And, yeah. you know, when you're doing it based off of word of mouth and, 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 and Twitter. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I read an article from one of the, you know, a podcast industry person the other day who said, you know, Oh, the, you can make like 300 grand a year doing a podcast. All you need is a $50,000 advertising budget. And I was like, Oh, okay, <laughs> sure. Let me just go to the bank and put that out in front of them and right. say, hey, look, is I got a long-term plan. Is that plan. the only thing I need? <laughs> yeah, is that it? Is that all? Is that Microphone at all? 50 grand. That's that's all it takes. So, I mean, since you first started with, with uh, specifically with the, with the One Mic History Show, you know, wh- what have you learned? What have you gotten better at in that time? What have you, what do you feel like you've improved wow. on? One of the things I struggled with in the very beginning, and I still kind of struggle with it, is I while I have a script, I don't want it to sound like a script. If you ever listen to Dan Carlin, I'm sure Dan Carlin has a fucking script, but if you ever listen to his episodes, they are amazing. And it sounds, it sounds so conversational. Like, like you could be just sitting in the room with him and he would just rattle off about the civil war or, you know, freaking Peloponnesian war for three hours. And this is what I I, I realized I was never gonna be fucking Dan Carlin. It's like asking some guy to why why you don't play like why you don't play like LeBron James. Right. Okay, I'm not gonna be him, but I could be the best Mike. And so I've been putting an effort to try to sound less like um like I'm doing a book report and more enthusiastic about the content that I was giving you. So if I Carlin, I can at least be me with more energy. So this season, it's been an effort to like really give you energy in things that right. most likely if you would listen to it, you're like, why would I give a shit about Plessy versus Ferguson? Well, I'm going to give you this with energy and show you why I'm passionate about it. So in hopes that maybe you will be passionate about it. Um, so yeah, that's been my, my journey is to just sound less like I'm reading from a book report and more like, uh, uh, more conversational and yeah. just more interesting, more interesting in general. And you know what, for, for listeners of this show, of a sort of goods, I'm sure people who have been around for a long time and people who are listening now will, will know that that's, that is dead on exactly the same kind of stuff that I've dealt with when I first started. That's the critique I always got from people when I'd ask, you know, what do you think of the show? Uh, you sound a little bit like you're reading and it's like, that's oh, cause I wrote 5,000 words for this episode and I got to read them to you. Like, it's, it's what a I challenge. Found, what, what I found is that uh, reading the script over and over again and knowing where to those words need yeah. to be emphasized or, you know, adding, adding that into your script, like, okay, this I'm going to 
start ramping up, maybe do some exclamation points or just putting out your script or, or writing the script at like you would talk. So you go over it and at first it's like a rough draft and it sounds fine, but you're like, I wouldn't say that. I would say this. Yeah. And if you start adding your own vernacular to it and then with that emphasis, it sounds less like you're reading. Um, but also I, I found, because I'm doing it, I've been doing it a while, that you start to get in your bag. Like, hey, I'm reading this, I'm in my bag, and this is this is flowing, this is working, and it sound I sound enthusiastic. And then you mess up, you're like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I feel like improvising too. Like I know when I run through my scripts yeah. and all that, I do that. I, I try to edit them two or three times to to sort of like hammer down every every word that I that I go through. And then I find the more that I'm doing this and the more that I kind of relax, the more I I find my brain's able to like come up with a lot. I'll be reading a script. I've already been through this three times. And then I get to a part and my brain's like, here's a joke you could make right now. And I'm like, all right, try it. Like, and half the time it's a flub and I got to go back and and get that and start again. But like, yeah, there's, there's an art form to that. We, you know, we don't go, we don't get educated. We don't go to school to, to learn how to, to, you know, properly read as a podcaster. So I mean, yeah, you definitely have to find your own sort of angle to, to reading through the information you bring. Yeah, it's and it's and it's tough. And I also I feel as though you can learn some things from listening to professional podcasters and see how they do things or or professional YouTubers. Um, you know, I learned, you know, I keep bringing up Mr. Baller mostly because I like his channel. <laughs> I'm yeah. into it. I watch all his videos, but he's a, an amazing storyteller. And while my stories aren't in the same vein, it's not creepypasta. I'm not going to be able to keep people engaged the same way he does. There are some things that I can pull away from your ability to keep people engaged and tell and tell stories. And this is, you know, once again, one, one of the things I want to do is to, Hey, you know, borrow, borrow things. Okay. I can do that. I can't, you know, mimic your entire style, but I can take little bits away from it and then, you know, mold myself into an amalgamation of multiple different people. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I think, I think that's probably, you know, I know some people creatively who are like, Oh, I don't like to, I don't like to draw on other people's creations and, and, and that's fine. I think everybody learns their own way, but uh, I agree with you. You know, a lot of, a lot of what I think I am creatively has been exactly that. Like I, I got to look at other people to be like, well, what do you do? Well, like, you know, and not everything's a fit, right? Like not everything is, right. you know, somebody might do one thing well. And it's like, that just doesn't, it's not going to work for me, but you know, there are bits and pieces. I think we're all always a mashup of our creative influences when we, when right. we decide to be creative Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, I, I'm glad you, I'm glad you touched on that because I wanted to say, you know, one of the things I, I feel like your, your show and your content and your podcast and your YouTube and all that stuff, like over the last year, especially has, has turned a little bit for me into the, like, you're, you're kind of like the, the guy who's sitting next to me in class. And I want to cheat off your paper a little bit because every now and then I'll, like, <laughs> you post a YouTube link and I'll like, go oh, I'll watch it. Then I'm like, Oh, what's he doing over here? Like, Oh, that's, all the thumbnails on his YouTube channel and like, okay. Like, like, I feel like I learned from you. So I think I'm curious is, is over the past couple of years when you've been doing one, Mike, like what are some of the resources you've been consult? Like, have you been consulting? You taken seminars or you, I mean, I mean, you've got a lot of, you got a lot of good pieces down and in, in sort of the content game. So I'm, I'm wondering what some of your, you know, influences and resources are that you've, you've wow. drawn from. Um, one of the things, well, I'm all, I was always in IT spaces, what I do for a living. So I kind of understand it a little bit. You know, I'm, I don't, I don't want to act like I'm some freaking algorithm <laughs> guru <laughs> or, or something. But um, when I was doing the cut, it was, you know, it was, the YouTube channel was doing poorly and I didn't understand. I didn't understand why. And then I started trying to reevaluate not just a cut, but what I'm doing as a whole and try to see if I could find, find the value, find the value in, in this or bring value to my listeners. Like, what am I doing? And why, why would anyone want to watch this? Why would you stop doing what you're doing to, to watch, to watch this? And once you start like, okay, I have a value proposition for my, for, for my listeners. Now, how do I, make them watch how do i get you to where if you were to watch it you'll like it but now 
you don't know you like it. You don't know you want to listen to it. And this is this is where the research comes in, where I'm like, okay, well, how can I get people to watch? How can I make better thumbnails? How can I get a better hook that's where they won't just run away as I um as soon as they listen to it? So yeah. if you watch the episode the videos, you'll see that my intros have gotten super short and I just have yeah. like a really quick hook. And then I go through yeah. my whole spiel on why you should lock, you know, all of my socials. And then I get started. Like, I don't even, and I've got to the point where that spiel in the middle about where you can find me and how you can support the channel. It's like, yeah, I'm getting it in. Let's go. You, I've already, you already know you want to watch this. You've seen all this stuff. I'm not going to lollygag. I'm going to get this in in under a minute. And then I'm going to start telling you about this story as, as quickly as, as quickly as possible. Cause I don't want, I don't want to lose you. And it, right. especially with YouTube, those cats have a attention span of a doorknob, <laughs> absolute doorknob. And they're not podcasters and YouTubers. They in two different spaces. Yep. So my long form content that people on you on podcasting space love, like, Oh, I listened to your whole episode. And then you yep. make the same episode for, for YouTube. And they listen like, four minutes of it. I was like, we're just getting good. Like that was still, that was still, that was still that. I'm, that I'm, I'm feeling like incredible <laughs> anxiety right now. Cause it's this episode probably started with a, you know, a, a 90 to second to two minute in- intro and all that. And <laughs> I hope you're still here listening. Cause there's a good interview going on. So, well, see, once again, podcasting space is not like that. Those people are yeah. willing. And, and I have heard some people complain about, people who have extra long intros, but they're more, way more willing to give you leeway than they are in the YouTube space. So a lot of the decisions that I made with my podcast have been with YouTube in mind because I want, I felt as though the things that were, that, that were good for YouTube, would also my podcasting listeners were like, like, yeah, I'm still making long form content, even though I've made my episodes shorter and have been trying to keep them under 30 minutes, but yeah. like short intros, getting straight to the point, going straight into the story, not lollygagging. Even my outros are, are, are super quick. All those yeah. things that work in the YouTube space and people who are successful in YouTube space do like, why can't I do this in podcasting? So this is the, yeah. I'm kind of drawing from those influences and saying, Hey, maybe I can do this in a podcasting space and this, and people will, people will appreciate it. I don't know. No one's ever said that, but <laughs> I no, think but you, it helps. You, yeah. You've, you've applied the things that you're learning from one to the other. Like, like there's no, it's the, it's a common thread I always get into with people when we talk about podcasts, there's no right way to do this. You know, this is, yeah. This is just up to whoever wants to create it. You want to, you take principles from one thing, you apply it to the other and it works or it doesn't work or shit, who knows. Right. But I'm going to have to start going to your seminars. I think, <laughs> you know, it's, it's been a wild journey because even, even at work, like I've done, I've done uh, speeches at work, two, three, really three speeches at work about black history, about Juneteenth, about black history month. Yeah. And it's really weird that people look at you and they're like, Mike's, Mike's an, you know, history buff or history expert. And I'm like, yeah, nah, I'm just a dude who reads a couple books, <laughs> tells a 20 minute story. Like this is not there. This is not my a dissertation on black history. This is mostly right. like I'm trying to make quick digestible, easily digestible history for people so that they can learn something that otherwise they wouldn't have any idea or they could give a shit like, Hey, yeah. Yeah. you know, why would I listen to this? Why is this important? Why is Ida B. Wells important? Well, let me show you in 20 minutes or less. Right. Right. So I have to ask what, what made you want to start a podcast folks on black history specifically? <laughs> I mean, you know, the story, you know, I was listening to <laughs> I, so, I'm not but, trying, I swear I'm not trying to set that up. So <laughs> <laughs> no, but no, seriously. Um, I listened to your episode about Tulsa and I was like, this is dope. This is dope. I, I wants to do this. And I especially remember listening to, uh, thinking about like your sound design and the music and how the music was, you know, period appropriate and how um, you had the sound, sound design with the sound effects and it, and it took you to a place like you felt like you were, you were living through it. You were there. And I was like, I want to do this, but I have no idea how, how to get there. And even still, it's something that I struggle with. I remember listening to Black History Buff, and I talked about this when I did the um, interview with Ariel with the um, podcast recommendations. Right. And um, 
I talked about Black History Buff and how he did the Little Rock Nine, and it was like you was right there, like you were there. I was yeah. there in Little Rock as they were trying to go into the school in 1957, and I was like, nothing, nothing I do is like this. Yeah. <laughs> like, like. I'm telling a book report, you're listening to it as just an information, but you're never transported to this time period where you feel like you're in the middle of it. Like you feel what she's felt. You feel empathy for what she's going through. You can hear the people screaming at her. They even had, he even had a freaking interview with one of the, one of the little rock nine. And I'm like, how, how? (laughs) Now granted that wasn't his interview. She wasn't talking to him. It was from another news outlet, but still it's like, how do you get here? Um, so yeah, I got I still have a, a lot to learn. And one of the big issues, especially with that sound design, it's expensive. It's expensive. Yeah. Time consuming too, right? Like it's, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. time consuming. It's one of the things that I'm kind of on the fence about. Like, you know what? I'm gonna sit on this and then when I get big, I'm gonna pay someone else to do it. <laughs> we'll put that in a pay, pay someone else to do a bank for later on. <laughs> <laughs> I'll submit my resume right away. But right. I, I, do you have did you have a sort of general interest in history throughout your life? Is 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 it a subject that you've gotten into, or has this podcast sort of been your gateway to learning about history stories? It's, it was interesting because I mean I had a passing, I had a passing interest in history. I was always you know, pretty good at history. When I was in school, it's the sort of things that stuck you know, when you were a kid and you've been an underachiever, you're almost your entire life, or, um, you have this mindset where if you're not a hundred percent invested in something, this is just me. Right. If I'm not a hundred percent invested in something, then I am 0% invested in it. I'm either right. all in or I could care less. Yeah. So as a kid, I was an underachiever. So finding something like like history that I really enjoy and that, oh, this is great. I'm 100 percent in on this. My mind is like, you like this. It was easy. It was easy for me. Um, I remember. God, where were we? It feels like it was a wedding, but I don't think it was a wedding. I might have been a birthday party. I was at a birthday party with members of the cut. And um, I was like, yo, I had this idea for this black history podcast and we kind of shot the idea around they kind of shot the idea around um you know and how they could help but in my mind i was like nah this is all me champ (laughs) (laughs) this is all me champ i had already had i mean it kind of feels like you know you're a new addition and you're going you're bobby brown and you're going solo or um you're in a you're in a band and now you you having to split this check five ways and you're like you know what I got a better <laughs> idea that I'm gonna do solo <laughs> not that I cut them not that I cut them out but I don't depend I don't like to depend on people because right. I don't trust them to do what needs to be done I know I can trust me I know I'm gonna do it if yeah. I trust you and you don't get it done then we all look stupid you know right. I don't want this group project I want to depend on me and I know I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna do it I'm going to do what needs to be done. This is how you end up into this space because I could get dependent on myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can meet your own deadlines, right? So. <laughs> yeah. I can meet my own deadlines. I don't mind. You know, I was up to two o'clock in the morning last night working on TikTok content. <laughs> wow. Uh, I appreciate TikTok. you getting up for this then. I mean, <laughs> it's not so bad. My son got up at like seven in the morning. He was up at seven. My wife went to class. So I was going to be up regardless. <laughs> good, good, good. Now, you know, the, I think the main reason I wanted to have you on the show and actually and get into this finally is, is uh, just the, the, sort of the general concept of your show as a whole. You know, the, the, your angle, and I've heard you talk about it before, is, is that you notice, and I think anybody can notice, that there's a mass, there are massive holes in our teachings of history. And right. specifically, unsurprisingly, there are massive holes in the way we teach the history of any people who don't look like me, you know, right. and your podcast is, you're right. You make, you make digestible content. You make sort of short, short, long hybrid sort of episodes and all that. You, you get really into these topics and you do a great job of explaining them concisely and quickly. And so I, you know, bringing you on here, was, I wanted to get a little bit into the sort of the, the nitty gritty of it. You know, now that you've been doing this for almost two years, 
do you have a bit more of an insight into, you know, what we need to, what everybody needs, what the education system needs to do better teaching people about the, you know, the full story of history, specifically in America, black history, which has been completely glossed over for, for a long time. What, you know, what, what, what do you think needs to be done better after with through your experience now? Wow. Um, one of the, one of the issues, and even I have this issue, I had this issue when I was in school is that we teach black history as a, as a linear path, as if, we went from, you know, the end of the end of the Civil War, Reconstruction, some bad shit happened, but we were getting better. We were getting better till Civil Rights Act of 1964, Voting Rights Act of 1965. Hey, it's over. Wipe your hands. Yeah. Martin Luther King, you're done. Get everybody pack your shit. Let's get on out of here. And and what really needs to be taught is that it's an it's ebbs and flows and. Um, God, and it's even tough for me. It's even tough for me. You know, when I'm, when I'm doing, you know, the talks for work, I, and they're like, Hey, Mike, we want you to come in. I'm like, I need to give you content that you're not going to be disgusted by. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to need to give you cut. Like if, if I tell you, if I tell you about Emmett Till, you're going to be like, Yo, what the fuck? <laughs> it's going to be a weird mood in the office for the rest yeah, of the it's day. Be a yeah. weird mood in the office all day. And that's the difficult part with, with Black history is that it's, for the most part, it's, it's very overwhelmingly negative. Mm-hmm. A lot of things is mostly almost total, total subjugation. And for, I mean, Reconstruction on Passive Rights Act. I mean, it was still things happening. It was it, it was horrible almost the entire time. Like there are some there are some good moments, you know, the Jack Johnsons, but yeah. for the most part, it's almost all all bad. And I think that's the part that a lot of people struggle with is that how do we teach people something and they can learn about something that's overwhelmingly negative. Right. overwhelmingly against one group of people perpetrated by another group of people. And yeah. that group of people <laughs> is still in power. Like, right. why would I ever loosen that grip? Why would I ever let you learn or, you know, entertain this idea of showing you how bad my ancestors were? You can't come to grips with your own, with your own history. I mean, because Black history is American history. It's not as if these things are separate. These, these things happen. These things do not happen in a vacuum. They're, they're your, it's your history. You know, it's the history of, of, of America. It's, it's very much intertwined. When, when Du Bois, uh, in the crisis, when, when World War II was happening, he told Black people to put away their special grievances and stand shoulder to shoulder with their brethren and fight for democracy. You know what I'm saying? This stuff is directly intertwined with with American history and and I feel like the way you can get way a, a little bit over the bad taste is by not portraying it as much like black history but portraying it as in this is history of all of us and that's yep. I think I think that's more easily easily digestible even though I am still going to be pushing black history content because I feel like there are stories there are stories to be told and in the yeah. future, I would like to be a little more positive. Like I would like, I would like to start doing maybe, you know, musical artists, musical artists or um, movie actors and actresses. And Hey, maybe even bad guys at some point, you know, I wouldn't mind the idea of, of, of doing, you know, uh, black mafia family or the history of the, of, you know, the bloods and the crips or even, um, you know, Nikki Barnes. Because, I mean, everybody, this is the thing. This is, sure. a, this, this, this is the thing that Obama said in 2016. He was like, Black history is not a series of highlights. This is not sports. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, the high, it's the highest and the lows. It's, it's, it's the famous and the obscure. So yeah. every story I tell you can't be Martin Luther King. It can't be Malcolm X. It can't be Ida B. Wells. It has to be everything all amalgamated together. So if I tell you about, you know, the, the uh, Pleasant versus Ferguson, at some point, 
I'm gonna have to tell you about okay, well, this guy wasn't a good person. <laughs> yeah. This guy wasn't a good person. Or or like how these things intertwine with each other and how how they all mesh together to tell a to- a whole picture. We're gonna take a quick break and hear from a new podcast called Good Nicks that's launching soon, all about the good people looking to do good in the world. So have a listen and subscribe to that as well. On the other side of the break, more with Michael Motley as we talk about the challenges of telling the good and bad sides of historical heroes, the opposition to teaching the full story of history at all, and of course, a whole lot more. Assorted Goods will be right back. Like, I can't, you know, there are problems I cannot solve. And that doesn't mean that I won't, that I'm afraid of tilting at windmills, because my goodness, show me a windmill and I'll tilt at that. But we look for the problems we can solve. We all want to do good in the world. Nearly all of us, at one time or another, imagined ourselves doing something noble or heroic. But most of us get derailed by life, by our careers, by our families. I'm Annalisa Nrile, and you're listening to the trailer for the new audio project called Good Nicks. On Good Nicks, we're interested in the people among us who take and stay on the good path, and in what their experiences might mean for the rest of us. I interview 10 people with very different journeys about how they ended up doing good in the world. I was in fourth grade and we used to come back up from the basement from gym to where our main classrooms were. And I was in line like everybody else waiting to get a drink from the water fountain. And I'm in line, I get my chance, I'm at the water fountain and I take a drink and the kid behind me says, hurry up. And I looked at him and I said, I just got here. I'll be done in a minute. And the words that came out of his mouth were, you blacks are all alike. And I just could not, for the life of me, understand where that came from. But that was my first literal fight because I punched him in his face. And I think the first time I realized that I was actually in the middle of a war. Good Nicks is an audio project exploring the journey and meaning of doing good in the world. For those of us who do good, and for those of us who are just thinking about it, we follow the journey of 10 Good Nicks who do good in very different ways to understand why they do it and what it means to do good over a life, in a moment, and for a season. I'm your host, Annalisa Enrile, a social worker, a professor, and a human rights activist. In a world and at a time that seems obsessed with what's wrong, we at Goodnicks want to obsess about what's right. If you are a good person, if you in your brain and in your heart and in your soul, if you as a person are a good person, being a cop has nothing to do with it. Being a cop is just your job. And it's just a uniform that you put on top of it and that you are able to channel your good person into. And If you're not a good person, you're not a good cop. We will drop a 20-minute episode of Goodnicks each week over 10 weeks, each episode exploring a critical moment along the path to doing good in the world. Each week, you'll hear from people with different experiences, backgrounds, childhoods, and perspectives on what it means to do good. Wow, what would I have said to my younger self about choosing to devote your life to movement building? I think I would I would have tried to talk myself out of it probably by saying it's really heartbreaking work. That there is a lot of loss and a lot of defeat along the way. The victories are pretty damn sweet, but the truth is that change is really, really slow. We at Goodnicks believe this is an important conversation to have now. We hope you agree and will join us. Be sure and click the subscribe button so you don't miss the first episode. You can do that anywhere you listen to podcasts. For more information about this project and who our Goodnicks are, visit us at goodnicks.org. G-O-O-D-N-I-K-S dot O-R-G. You can also follow at the Goodnicks on Twitter. It's really hard and you can do everything right and you can be so smart and you can still suffer kind of crushing losses over and over again. So you've got to have a pretty thick skin, a pretty like tough heart to be able to go through that over and over again and still want to get up the next morning and go at it again.
And now, more with Michael Motley Jr. I think it's funny. I mean, you're talking about that, right? That that you got to sometimes tell the stories of the good guys and bad guys. And you're making me think, like, why is Al Capone like a romanticized character of American history? And Tookie Williams is like the man who right. ruined America. It's like right. the the good guys of American history are painted as saints. And the bad guys are painted as like sort of charming rebels. You know, right. and and you know, people dress up like Al Capone for Halloween, but no one's dressing up like a crip and going to the bar on Halloween because <laughs> uh, you know you can't even you wouldn't even be allowed into the bar because that would be dress code violations in a lot of places. Yes, but what do you think? You know, I think you touched on it a little bit there, but you know, why do you think people are so opposed? We talked a little on Twitter a few weeks ago when when uh, Katanji Brown Jackson's being nominated for Supreme Court, right? One of the one of the methods or the the tactics employed to try to oppose her nomination was using critical race theory again because it's been weaponized as a term and and right. the people who use it say overtly we don't want to teach anything about race do you think there's an intertwining of what you just said the fact that to teach black history is to teach the violence and to teach the oppression and teach all that and because it implies that one group, white people, did it to another group, non-white people of any kind, is that a barrier that, that you think has to be crossed? How do you combat this sort of cultural movement that to teach any authentic history is to be teaching CRT and to be indoctrinating children and all this, this bullshit that they put out? It's, it's the mindset. Their mindset is so ridiculous. The idea that you're creating divisiveness just by teaching CRT or by teaching black history. Cause what happens with CRT is it starts bleeding. It starts bleeding into anything. Next thing you know, yeah. you're not teaching about Martin Luther King because that's CRT. Everything, everything and anything can, can be, can be CRT and also none of it because no one really knows what the, what the fuck it means. Yeah. They don't really know yeah. what, what it means. Um, so it's a scary thing because I, I feel like the people who are against it are so entrenched into the idea of, of, of being against CRT that there's nothing that I could say to them that will convince them otherwise. Um, I do feel like CRT has a huge uh, um, branding, branding yeah. issue. And I mean, even before it became a buzzword, I felt like it had a branding issue because critical race theory was so vague. The idea, the term is so vague. It doesn't really convey what what we're attempting to do here what she's attempting to do here and god i can't remember her name for shit um but the idea here is that basically it's just the teaching of how this you know united states was built on the backs of slaves that's it the economy everything that you built was built on slavery and since that time you've been trying to continue that idea without actually physically enslaving someone. So convict leasing, sharecropping, yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 now low low wages, keeping you in this sure. low socioeconomic status. And that, and that starts to extend outside of race, but yeah. it's a lot of black people in that, in that treadmill, you know? Yeah. And it's all the CRT, all the CRT is, you know? But when you start, the idea here is that <clears throat> teaching someone, teaching your kids about this is, is creating divisiveness, never takes into account the black kids that have lived with this their entire lives. It only accounts for the white kids that you feel like you're being divisive with. And if that's the case, it still perpetuates that stereotype that your kids are somehow better, more special, more worthy, deserving of special treatment than black kids who have dealt with this type of racism yeah. their in their entire lives or this, the, that lack, that lack of privilege, you know? And I, and I know people are selfish. I know people are selfish. I know people only care about their kids. I get it. You know, I only like one kid. I like mine. Everybody else's kid are kind of like, yeah, get away from me. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I get it. I completely, I completely get it. But you run away from your history, you trying to, to put your pos your spin on history or put trick your fingers in your ears about history or banning or banning books, the anti-racism baby or whatever Ted yeah. Cruz dumbass is talking about today. 
is not does not make things better. We live in an information age. You cannot block information from people. People are going to find it and they're going to find it readily, readily available in a world full of information. You can't stop people from learning about it. What you need to do is is embrace, is embrace that history, embrace your legacy, embrace, embrace the truth. Hmm. (laughs) Yeah. This is what I would tell you to do, but I know they're not going to listen. They don't, they don't care. (laughs) <laughs> and and the weaponization of the term, the fact that there are, I, I think I maybe mentioned to you when, when we were talking mm-hmm. about this on Twitter, that there is, there is actually a, a guy, I won't name him here because I don't think he's worth naming in this episode, but there is a guy in America whose overt goal he has stated out loud was my job was to redefine CRT, critical race theory is anything that is uh, ideologically not aligned with, with, sort of right-wing Republican politics, that anything that doesn't fall into our purview of being acceptable, we just slap CRT on it. It'll create a massive negative response from people. And we'll, and and that's the goal, is to make it an umbrella term that can be used for anything yeah. at all. And the, it, it's very odd to me, how can, you, how can you give the game away and then people just keep playing it? You know what the crazy thing about CRT? Is CRT is not taught in schools. It's no. it's college elective. It's a college elective. Yeah. Do you know how many people I've seen come to school board meetings? People who don't even have kids. I you don't even have kids in this school district, but you come here and rally against the ills of CRT. What what dog do you have in this fight? I've seen black people do it. He's like, you know, the CRT. What CRT? What what specifically? Are you against because that doesn't exist? It's a fucking boogeyman. It is it's a so, high level, it's a high level like Ivy League legal theory, is it not? Like you're you're right. You're right. People on people on Twitter, you can guarantee no one's read that shit. They've just no. heard it from somebody that they follow on on TV or social media on and then Twitter or Fox yeah. News, whatever. Of course. And and then start parroting that yeah. at the school board meetings. Why are you teaching this to my kids? Nobody's teaching anything. Yeah like that to your kids. Matter of fact, black history is under underrepresented. And now you have a reason to, to rally against it even more as well as a reason to, you know, get your kids to some shitty ass unregulated charter school while diverting, while diverting um, state funds to it, which is the ultimate, ultimate goal. I want, it's basically, uh, uh, you know, segregation. 20th century segregation. It's it's I want my kids to go to some some Christian charter school, private school that's funded by the state while while the public schools are under underfunded and can't and don't have the ability to um uh uh, disallow kids. So you can go to charter school and they could be like, nah, you don't fit. Take your ass to public school. So some underfunded public school now has to deal with some kid that couldn't get into any of these other charter schools or private schools or they didn't fit. Is it based on race? Are you stupid? Like, who knows? <laughs> it's like it's like putting a veil of of sort of like red tape and legal mumbo jumbo and shit to say like, oh, that's not racially segregated. You know, it's a lot of stories I hear about about any uh, in any issue in America that it always disproportionately affects people of color far worse than it affects white people. And then when you approach that, they go, it's not racism. It's because of this, 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 and this. And you could say you can put as many pillars between A and B, but if they still always connect then it it, it's you know it's the debate of the last few years that's sort of become mainstream of of what they call systematic racism so you know racism is so nuts in america that you even things that don't seem like they were racist are like amazingly racist Uh, (laughs) the the united states highway system disproportionately went through black neighborhoods cut black neighborhoods in in half um speaking of Tulsa, house, right? Speaking yeah, of Greenwood, Tulsa, Tulsa and Greenwood, Greenwood. Greenwood is a is a got a highway right through it now. Yeah, exactly. Right, right through it now. That's a, the prime example. Housing, housing in America, GI yep. Bill. The GI yep. Bill probably because the GI Bill credits itself with being with creating the middle class of the United States. So it's probably the single worst thing happened to black people. Like since slavery, the idea yeah. that that all of these GIs, because GI Bill required you to have a third party bank, 
back that loan. And because the banks were not going to back loans by African-Americans, they disproportionately weren't getting those loans. And now you have a person who bought a house in 19, you know, 58 for yeah. $20,000. And now that house is worth $300,000. That wealth yeah. transfer, that, that, that ability to pass that kind of wealth down to your kids, that never happened. Right. For African Americans, that's that's a completely different ball game. If that if that happens, my dad was a big student of history, and he used to say to me all the time, "He's like, oh, the GI Bill." He's like, "You should know about the GI Bill." He's like, "That's one of the biggest economic um, sort of roadblocks that was put up because it exactly that it excluded African Americans from being a part of the burgeoning middle class that the foundation of wealth in America and all that that there would be." hundreds of thousands of families that would have grown into having property value, which is in turn all the things that people build an economic life off of. And, but thinking back, I'm curious what your experience was growing up, because I know for me, it it's funny now in a bad way, but I remember being in elementary school in February, like the only memory I have of learning anything about history that wasn't about, you know, white people in those stupid powdered wigs, you know, making legislation and stuff was Martin Luther King, exactly what you said. It was one time in like the fourth grade in February, they brought somebody in who, if I remember, was probably also a white woman. And she would talk about the speech. And it's, it's, it's that lack of context. Like it was 20 years before I learned, you know, after he, after Martin Luther King gives the famous one time, I have a dream speech that solved racism forever, that within a year he was questioning that speech is, message that he he didn't even he didn't even think it was the right thing to say a, a little time later that that it was a that it was a sort of like a misnomer of the problem that people were going to do what they have done with it so you know for me being a being a white kid in a white neighborhood and and, and all that that was my education on race was it was <laughs> tough a guy came along he had some cool ideas and then we all joined hands and and everything's been fine since what was, I mean, for you, what was your experience growing up? What, what, what if wow. any black history did you learn, uh, you know, in, in the formative years of your life? Oh man, it was very, very few. I, I'm, I'll be honest with you. I mean, mostly, most of the history that I learned and I grew up um, pretty middle-class myself, the neighborhood that I grew up in, um, most of the kids in my neighborhood were white. The school that I went to was white. I was pretty, I was pretty middle class <laughs> growing up. You know, um, they called me White Mike for a reason. <laughs> it was, there was there was a reason there. <laughs> um, so my exposure to Black history was almost little to none, um, and it wasn't like you said till later that I find out that that history is nuanced and layered and it's not, you know, not only is it not a linear path, but everybody wasn't necessarily good. It was not necessarily happy. They weren't necessarily excited. Like, yeah, yeah, we achieved the Civil Rights Act 1964, but a little bit after that, Martin Luther King stating that it cost you nothing to yeah. do that and that the real struggle comes through, you know, um, economic change you know, balancing these, the, 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 the economic power structure structure. Um, so in that, this is, this is one of the reasons why I started a podcast. Cause I, I, I wanted to be more nuanced. I wanted people right. to understand that not only was it not a linear, linear path, but that you can believe in multiple different things at the same time. And yeah. that black people did, and they had beef, about it. They had, we had opposing viewpoints while uh, going through the movement. And some people didn't believe like this is the wrong path. We shouldn't do this. Or this is the right path. Or that they were human. That, that, you know, Martin Luther King was a, was a whore. And that the FBI (laughs) was watching Martin Luther King, watching Malcolm X and were like, he's not, you are, he's not King. Like that's stuff they wrote about him. Malcolm X was a saint. (laughs) He's like, he's not King. King's out there living his best life. <laughs> but I mean, I also think it's important to remember he was, you know, when he first got started with the Montgomery bus boycott, he was like 25, yeah. 25, you know, th- think of that. Like I'm 41. Think where you were when you were 25. Now imagine you running a movement 
a movement that is going to change African-Americans in this country forever. (laughs) And then imagine the amount of random ass that is going to be thrown your way. Like, it's no way, like, there's no way you wouldn't, your head wouldn't be huge. Like, come on, man. Like, I I can't even fault him, other than the fact he was married. I was like, yeah, that's probably the best move. You know, the FBI sent tapes. They sent tapes to Coretta about what he was out here doing, you know, in hotel rooms with women. And she never, uh, reportedly, she didn't listen to him. Right. But they they were out here trying to sabotage his marriage. <laughs> and, and it's, you know, even, I think even that about it, you know, the again, most of the, most of the extent of, of teaching any sort of black history is Martin Luther King, the end, you know, yeah. and it's, and it's even, even like you said, a flawed man, a man who had yeah. vices, a man who, who questioned his own, his own suggestions at times, you know, well, it, it, own ideas. Well, I'm doing the yeah. right thing. When he met, I talked about um, Bayard Rustin the other day yeah. because it was anniversary of his death, I think. Um, anyway, Bayard Rustin was a gay man in the middle of the movement in a time where being openly gay, it's like, yo, even people in the movement were like, yo, why are you hanging around with this gay dude? Like, for real, this is how yeah. he felt. But he had been studying, you know, pastoralism, nonviolence, and he's the person that convinced uh, Martin Luther King to to get rid of his armed protection, to get rid of his because he was carrying during early days of the Montgomery bus boycott, he was carrying a pistol. Yeah, that these ideas like Martin Luther King was not in a vacuum. These guys were not in a vacuum. They were not perfect individuals. They were they were flawed. Yeah. people with the mission and that those stories like how can you not be excited about that how can that not interest you how can you yeah. not want to hear about that like i, I want to know more i want to know about martin luther king holding the pistol and like it's, that's <laughs> yeah, exactly. interesting i'm interested in that like exactly and and this is one of the problems i have with american history as, as a whole because we treat the our founding fathers our forefathers presidents as if they were perfect people and they weren't they were extremely flawed people who were doing what they were doing at a time when they felt like maybe it was the right thing or maybe maybe you had some preconceived notion like you know andrew johnson was an asshole so i'm pretty sure he wasn't doing what he thought was right he's just a dick but most of them were trying to do the right thing at the time and you don't understand the ramifications of those things too many 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 decades years decades later so we have a problem. Americans have a problem of putting people as if they're our superheroes. It's George Washington was a superhero, you know, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, Martin Luther King, all these guys, they were not, they were human beings. They put their pants on one leg at a time, just like you did. And us focusing on those flaws does not make them any more heroic. It makes them more, it makes them what their feet, what they've done, what they accomplished yeah. more amazing because he was just like you, like this could have been you. You yeah. could have been Martin Luther King if you had that that vision. You had, you know, we got issues too. And that's yeah. that's why I think the problem, our problem lies, or at least the problem with American history. <laughs> you know, our media and our culture seems to influence a lot. I, I I take note that even in the room you're in, you're you're wearing a superhero t-shirt and you've got a Captain mm-hmm. America shield on your wall. There's yeah. there's yeah. a huge culture of that. My my brother and I were having a conversation <laughs> last week about the Ukrainian president Zelensky and how he was really I was saying something about how I've been watching his, the show of his that he used to do. It's on Netflix. My brother's going, oh, you know, I hate how they turned him into a, you know, they were casting yeah. him for the movie. You know, they're like, oh, Jeremy Renner should be, should play him in the movie. And it's like, it, it, my brother had this issue with that, that every, every time a person does anything noble or honorable, they have to be turned into a movie character or a superhero or, you know, yeah. uh, every, every middle-aged woman's new fantasy, you know, like stuff like that. And, and then when we go back through history, we do the same shit to every person we look at in history. They're either fully flawed or they're, or they're uh, canonized essentially. And, yeah. and, and you can't, and if you, especially with black history, this is, this is one of the issues that I face when I try to tell stories of people who were nuanced and flawed, I get slacked. <laughs> yeah. yeah, from people about about this. When I talk about Josh Gibson and how he was an amazing, probably the greatest uh, baseball player ever, yeah. but he's yeah. also an addict. He had a hair, he had a, a crippling heroin addiction, and yeah. 
you know, was playing, even though he had stage four cancer all the way up to the end, he was yeah. playing with stage four cancer. Um, and I tell that story and people are like, yo, why, why is he this way? Why are you so negative? Or the fact that, you know, Josh Gibson basically ran out on his own kids and never saw them again because yeah. he was constantly on the road and they were being raised by yeah. um, his mother. And it's like, this, the story is the story. It is what it is. I yeah. mean, just because you have this, these feelings or this, you know, canonization of Josh Gibson or this particular person does not mean I shouldn't tell you the, the entire full story. And it, you know, and it jades you a little bit because you see guys who are getting, who get the wrong, who are canonized and don't deserve it. Right. And that, it, it, you want to say something. You want to be like, nah, that's not the way it is. That's not what happened. QEP Newton is a great example of that. QEP Newton is not the guy people think he was. He wasn't, right. he, he was not, I mean, yes, he came up with the idea for the Black Panthers, but he was in prison when the Black Panthers were doing the majority of their growth. The ideas, the biggest um, growth came from Bobby Seale. Bobby Seale was the one who was driving majority yeah. of the of, of the growth. And when uh, Huey P. Newton was in prison, they just used Huey P. Newton as a, as a, as a linchpin, as a rallying cry, free Huey. And then that launched them because people saw this in the news and they're like, yo, what are these guys in Oakland doing? And then when he got out, people saw him as a God and provided him with, with drugs and alcohol. <laughs> yeah. And now and, and now he has an alcohol addiction and he's running a major organization and he ran them into the ground. The FBI is not what killed the Black Panthers. They killed themselves because of Huey P. Newton's poor management. <laughs> and now I see people that are like, hey, they put him next to Mar Malcolm and Martin. And I'm like, that doesn't feel right. <laughs> and, 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 you know, over the course of our conversation here, I'm starting to think a little bit of well as well. I mean, we talked about earlier about, you know, white people don't like hearing about this history because it makes them feel like they were bad people. I mean, for one, for any white people, learning about history where your people who look like you did horrible things isn't an indictment on you as a person. You have only existed as long as you've existed. But right. do you think there's a common thread a little bit about this, that teaching regular history, people don't want to hear it because they feel like they're being told that they come from a negative lineage? And do you think in terms of black history, it's the same problem that to tell a story of a, of a, a black hero in history is going to get you in trouble. If you tell the full human story, the more yeah. human yeah. you make these stories historically, it seems the more people are actually off put by yeah. reality. It. Essentially. I'll say this. Um, one of the things that's always interesting to me is that people in these stories always see themselves as the bad guy in black history stories. So you look at yourself as, as the asshole, as you know, in Plessy versus Ferguson, you're Ferguson, you're the, you're, you're the opposer. But during this time, there were, there were a ton of abolitionists. The sure. NAACP yeah. was an interracial organization. It was designed as an organization, a, a powerful interracial organization to assist yeah. African-Americans. White people were not always the bad guy in these stories. Yeah. And there were a lot of white folks who were fighting for the justice and equality for African-Americans. So I don't understand. I never understood why constantly people yeah. view themselves in this particular, in these stories, as if they were constantly the bad guy. Yes, they were bad players. Yes, they were assholes. Yes, they were Jagger Hoovers. But you don't have to always be Jagger Hoover <laughs> in this story. <laughs> I prefer um, not to be really, but yeah, I, I would prefer to, too. He, he doesn't get the, he doesn't get the animosity that he deserves. Like, yeah. like on, on the, on the top of the list of, 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 of United States assholes or people who, you know, routinely subject <laughs> to African Americans, Jacob Hoover is like at least two or three, he two or three on that story. Um, and the flip side of black, of black people is that you can't, humanize these guys, especially people that people have canonized. Like the older some people are, it's okay. Like I can tell a human story of Ida B. Wells because people, she's so far back in history that people haven't really gravitated to her, even though she she was a saint. Yeah. She was an yeah. asshole to people, but she was an absolute wonderful person. She's one of my heroes. Yeah. Um, but like when you talk about Booker T. Washington, Booker T. Washington 
um, views for African-Americans at the time directly opposed to that of Du Bois. And Du Bois created a whole organization because of how much she hated <laughs> uh, Booker T. Washington and, and his accommodationist um, views. Like, can you imagine that? Someone hating you so much they created a civil rights organization. <laughs> like, ah, man, man. Hey, I think, I I think you just make a hashtag now. I think that's how you right. go about it. These that's what days, you would right? do. Ha- yeah. Hashtag Biden sucks. That's, that's what's <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So, but the more recent characters, the, the Malcolms, the Martins, the Fred Hamptons, the Black Panthers, yeah. um, the Angela Davises, like you can't tell negative stories. And it's, it, even if people don't have direct commentary, those, they don't, those are the ones they don't want to hear. They're those are the ones they don't want to listen to. No one listens to yeah. the, the, the fall of the Black Panthers. They want to hear about the rise. They don't want to hear about how, how they, um, destroyed their organization themselves or they don't want to hear about the fact that Angela Davis got famous because she most likely bought weapons for the Soledad brothers that ended up that they used to hold up a, um, a courtroom and shoot a judge and a DA. They don't want to hear about that story that she was most likely involved. Now, yeah, yeah, she was acquitted because they couldn't, they couldn't find a direct causation between her purchasing guns and the act they performed. But yeah, she wasn't stupid. She knew exactly what she was doing. She was an honorary Black Panther. She was in the movement. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, the last, uh, the last area I wanted to get into here. This is the trickier stuff, I think. And and you know, from my own perspective, I I I want it to be a I want it to be informative and educational in approaching this. But you mentioned, you know, when you started your podcast, that it came off the back of of hearing the episodes I did on Tulsa. And one thing I know I've heard you say before is the, the sort of the tricky avenue of, of a, of a white person telling a story like that. And, and it was something that I was very conscious of. No, no, no. It's something I was very conscious of at the time was, was it was one of those things where halfway through, I remember being like, should I even be doing this? And then I was like, I've already done like 40 hours of work. I can't stop now. Yeah. In it. I'm so, in it now. <laughs> yeah, like oh, I couldn't back out at that point. But do you think that do you think that there's a role to be played for 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 I guess white people to tell stories of history like that or speak on issues in, in the modern day? Is there a is there a role? Is there a value to that perspective? Is there a an approach that that someone like me should should take or or a perspective that we should approach those topics with? How essentially, how can someone like me do a better job of 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 telling those stories or or being supportive in that way? Um, I mean, I, I feel like you know what you're doing and just the idea of the promotion of Black history is is a positive. That's a positive. That's a win. Like, like yes, in this particular space, I was like, I felt like this story should be told told by somebody of color. It should be told, you know. I'm gonna say by me, but I mean, who else would? It, well, who else was it going to be? Nobody else is going, going running up to the plate. We want to do this, right? Um, so, not that many of us, not a whole lot of, of, of black guys who are, who are clamoring to come to or share this content. So, the idea that anybody in any of any race wants to talk about these stories, that's, that's a win. That's a win. Yeah. The more that we can tell these stories, the more that we can talk about it, the more that people are knowledgeable of it is, is, is a win. I mean, there are tons of people who lived in Greenwood their entire lives who had no yeah. idea about, about the Tulsa massacre and are never going to hear my podcast. So, the idea that they can find yours and listen to yours, that's, that's a positive. It's a positive. Yeah. So, um, while I know your conscience is like, hey, should I be doing this? Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely should be should be doing this. And we and and it, there's enough, I think there's a space for both, for both of us to be sharing in the same and similar stories. Like, yeah, like I don't own these stories. They're not they're not mine. I have a connection to these people because they are of the same race, but the stories are not mine. They're not, they're not owned by me. They're not, they're not my opinions. So we all can learn and all can grow from telling similar stories. And, and I think it's a positive. I think it's a win. All right. Putting me at ease. Really? 
<laughs> Look at me trying to justify myself at the end of the interview here. Nah, man, you're good. You're good. You're good. You're good. This, you were, I was in my space, in my head space, but you weren't doing anything wrong. And matter of fact, I mean, I feel like your episode is superior. It's superior to mine. Like, I mean, oh. mine, mine was oh, okay. No. I remember listening to you and I'm like, I can't duplicate this. I can't do this. <laughs> that was, that was the most sleepless period of, of podcasting for me was, was staying up late with books and highlighters and shit and trying to figure out how to, it's how do I do this correctly? You know, it's the worst. It's the books is the worst. Like when you got articles, articles used to give you like concise details and you can kind of create an amalgamation. When you start yeah. throwing books in there and you're reading through books, trying to find relevant information. Is this too much? <laughs> is it not enough? It might give you too much information. Is some areas, am I giving you a novel and other areas I'm glossing yeah. over things like, ah, it sucks. It's the challenge of what we do. And it's, it never gets easier until we can hire a team oh. full of interns. Which, yeah. Blocking, hire a team full of interns. And, which and for like, you might be sooner than later, I'd probably <laughs> wager, but we'll see. We, we will see. Well, Michael Motley, thank you, man. It's so cool. It's, it's awesome to finally have you on the show it, and actually have this conversation to talk about this stuff and, and your, your podcast, you're doing such a damn good job. Um, you're, you're, you're maybe my favorite person to follow on the social media and, and I, I'm, I'm amazed at the success you've had. And I'm, I'm certain that you got a whole lot more coming in your future. Oh yeah. I hope so. <laughs> Thank you, man. Thank you for having me, man. You got some plugs you want to do. You want to tell people where they can find you, what, what the, the resources they can get all your content. So you can find me on Twitter at, at one Mike history. You can find me on Instagram at, uh, one mic history. Yeah. We yeah, have one mic history. You can find me on TikTok. I put all of my short form content on TikTok. Um, I'm creating different content, completely different, completely separate from my podcast uh-huh. exclusively for TikTok for the, the 12 year olds on TikTok. Um, <laughs> and also you can find all of my long form content on onemichistory.com. And if you go to onemichistory.com, you can find all of the socials and everything else from that from that one central area. So this will probably be the launch pad. Go to onemichistory.com and then you can find all the, everything else. Absolutely. I, I highly encourage if anybody has not heard the show and um, you're, you're missing out and, and get the education you need because- right. I mean, Lord knows you're not getting it from the education system like right. the rest of us. So. Don't listen to the early episodes, man. Listen to the new. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, start with the new stuff and go backwards. I say the same yeah. thing about my stuff. Don't don't go back to episode one. You're not gonna like it. That is it for this episode of Assorted Goods. A big thank you once more to Michael Modley for stopping by to chat. I had wanted to do this for a long time, so it was really cool to be able to sit down and get into all of this with him. Please check out the One Mike Black History podcast, subscribe to it on your podcast player of choice, and on YouTube too. You won't regret it, and hey, you'll get the history lessons you've guaranteed to have never gotten in school. As for this podcast, if you're a fan of what I do here on Assorted Goods, please subscribe to the show on your podcast app, and subscribe to it on Disinformed Media's YouTube channel as well, where Assorted Goods gets published. If you want to follow the show on the socials, you can follow me and Assorted Goods on Twitter and Instagram. The handle on both platforms is at DisinformedDam. That's me. You can also visit the website, disinformed.ca, where you can find show notes for each episode. And if you want to email the show, you can reach me through the contact page on disinformed.ca or just make it easy and email me at dan at disinformed.ca. The music for this episode was created and produced by my talented brother, David Felton. Thank you, brother, as always. Thank you for listening. Take care of each other out there. And I'll catch you next time here on Assorted Goods.